0: You're listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. We pray that today's message helps you to connect to Jesus for life change. Our topic this morning is God is awesome. God is awesome. If you'll take your copy of God's Word and join me in Psalm 139. I know you have it on the screen behind you, which is wonderful. We do not allow Scripture on the screens in our church the reason why is because we want to see you looking at the Word of God. And uh, so I'm being patient. I almost called for no screens, but I, I'm being gracious guest, you know, hospitable. But uh, no, we, we really do. We, 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 we really like, I like looking at the top of your head, not your eyes sometimes, because I know you're looking at the Word of God, and you're seeing what we're teaching, and I want you to see what God says to you, right? And that's the heart behind that, but it's just a, just a little thing. Anyway, Psalm 139, I've hand-selected this psalm uh, for a number of reasons. I'm going to read it in a second, but I want to give you a little bit of introduction uh, to uh, this particular psalm. First, by letting you know why I've hand-selected Psalm 139 for our consideration this morning. First reason is that it's my favorite. It's probably the single greatest aid to my personal and progressive sanctification, in order for me to sin against the Lord, I have to step over in my heart Psalm 139, and I think you'll see that in a minute, when you see how awesome God is. And in, in a lot of ways, I feel like it retards um, my desires uh, to sin. And so I think it'll serve you in, in that way. A second reason why I've selected Psalm 139 is because it inflates a high view of God. It inflates your view of God. You see, you live out your view of God every single day, right? If you have a high view of God, it should produce a relatively high standard of living. If you have a low view of God, it's going to produce a low standard of living. Let me say it differently. Big God, you got little problems. You really do when God's on your side. If you have a little view of God, a little God this morning, you have huge, gigantic problems, right? Right? So big God, little problems. Little God, big problems. So we live out our view of God every day. So I hope to install in all of us, starting with myself, a high view of God um, this morning. And then a third reason is because God is awesome. And I want you to see that. I think sometimes we live in the weeds and we're tactical all the time. I think it's sometimes, this is kind of theological territory. I think it's sometimes good to come up 32,000 feet Kind of breathe the the vistas and the fresh air and summit a text like this and see how awesome and how vast and lofty and cool God really is. And I hope to produce in you a heart of worship uh, that's based out of this psalm, drive you to worship, and in some ways, like personal revival. If you're a little dry this morning, or you've just come back and you've been away from the Lord a little while, or you don't even know the Lord, this psalm should awaken us and so that's my desire that's stated up front and that's the reason why I chose this for for this church on this day to have this installment okay Um, as we approach the psalm so now we're on the porch so as we approach this psalm just remember this we're gonna read it it's really really designed to be done in four Sundays I'm gonna do it in one so hang on, but we're, we're going to do it in one Sunday. It's kind of, disor- it has like four distinct sections to it, which makes a four-part outline, which makes it pretty, pretty easy to follow, but it's really difficult to, to get across this terrain, this rocky terrain, um, when, when you only have a, a certain select period of time. So, I want you to know that. Second, it's designed to be sung in worship. It's a public psalm, written by David, you'll see it through the choir master, you'll see it in the subscription in the front, it's to the choir master, so as you would come in, or as you would worship, as John has led us, you would naturally like sing these kind of things to get your heart right, to get your mind kind of centered on who God is. That's the purpose of this psalm, it's to say God is awesome and you are not. I know sometimes some of you think you're awesome, and I do too, I, I'll confess that, but you're not. You know? And so this is, this is a helpful installment. If you need to come off your horse a little bit, you, know, you need a little dose of humility, this will do it. This, this, is, the, this is the psalm that, that does that. And so it's, for me, it's like the Mount Everest of all psalms. Okay, so that's why I selected it. That's a little bit about the psalm. We need to get busy, right? Let's get busy. Let's read the psalm because I think reading it there's this crazy section that I'll deal with when we get there, but it's kind of a, a, this interruption. You're going to go, ah, that's weird, awkward moment. But I think, I think as we read it and we unpack it, you'll love it. All right? Take a look. Verse 1. Oh, Lord, you've searched me, and you've known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You even discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, when I just think them, you, uh, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You have me in behind and before, and you've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge, it's too wonderful for me. It's high. I, I, I can't even attain to it. Where should I go from your spirit? And where should I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me to be night even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you for you god formed me in my inward parts you knitted me together in my mother's womb i praise you for i am fearfully and wonderfully made wonderful all your words works my soul knows it very well my frame Was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as there was not one of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I could... Count them. They are more than the sand. And then I awake. Man, I'm still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. Oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent, and enemies, they take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord? Oh, yeah. And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? Yeah. I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them my personal enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. It's the reading of God's Word. God is awesome. So, there are four sections, right? Four attributes of God. His omniscience, His omnipresence, His omnipotence, and His holiness. Those are the four attributes we're going to see, all of them designed to communicate that God is different than us, the exclusivity of God. It's what makes God unique and different from who we are there's four attributes, and then there are four implications. The implications on my outline, you can see the first one on the screen, I can't have privacy. I can't have privacy. You ready to get busy? Yes. All right, let's go. I can't have privacy. We love our privacy. I love my privacy. I think I have privacy. I have I have a gate. I, I have hedges. I, you know, have locks on my doors. I mean, I think in our western mindset we kind of like privacy and we revel in our privacy i'm raising a teenage boy he wants his privacy i don't ever give that to him but uh, uh, you know he, he he just revels everybody revels in privacy and you think you have privacy right i think you would probably think you have privacy but that really is a myth when you know who god is now you could keep private from us from your elders and from your spouse, and from your parents, but you're, you don't have any privacy with God, right? So, secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. Say it again. Secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. You just have to grapple with that theologically. Let that sit in with you because it's important. Well, there's a myth of privacy. You don't have privacy. Let me Let me defend that a little bit with the text of Scripture. We're in the first six verses, which is the first six section, uh, uh, first six verses of this first section. And the first word kind of sets the tone and the subject of the psalm. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, you've searched me and you've known me. This is a psalm about God and the exclusivity of God. And then he says, Lord, you've searched me. It's an interesting word in the Hebrew language. It means to excavate. It would be used for the description of trying to find an artifact where you're meticulously moving the dirt around and getting all the stuff off of the artifact so that you could unearth it, so that you could study it and learn about it. This is the word they would use to, 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 to dig, right? And God does that in our lives. He removes all the shenanigans and all the dirt and excavates our heart. He moves away all the material, all the stuff that we sometimes hide behind. He lowers the walls that we erect to keep people out in our privacy, right? If you were to say it in a modern idiom, you would say it like this. He can see right through a person. He knows you, sir, and he actually knows you better than you know yourself. That's the the scary part, right? He does. He really knows us better than we know ourselves. And so he says, "You search me," and then to add depth, he says it a different way: "You know me." This word "know" in the Old Testament it's used nine hundred and seventy-two times in the Old Testament. It's it's prolific. It's talking about intelligence, perfect knowledge. God knows you comprehensively, exhaustively, and perfectly. Right? What's the lowest form of knowledge? Assumption. If you've been married for any period of time, I hope you're learning that assumption probably not a good tactic to deploy. It's the lowest possible form of knowledge when you assume something about somebody or about a circumstance. God's never made an assumption about you. He knows exactly who you are. You can be a poser. You can do certain things, but not with God. You can, you can hide from me and you can set yourself up, but not with God. There's full disclosure, full Disclosure with God. Let me say it a little differently, more modern. He doesn't miss a thing. He doesn't miss a beat about your life. Everything. You're about to see how exhaustive it really is. He, and he does it effortlessly. I mean, it'd be, it would be tough, even as the elders of this church... Are awesome, but it'd be pretty tough for them to keep up with every, every bit of you, all of you, all your movements, all your activity, all your things that you're doing at work, your, the good days, the bad. I mean, it's really, i be like, look at the size of the room and the people. It'd be really challenging. God does it with billions, effortlessly. It's no big deal to him. That's how awesome he is. That's why he is awesome, right? It's comprehensive knowledge. So he excavates our lives. And he knows us thoroughly. I think it's a fair question because David wants to answer it for you because you're, you're asking the question, well, how, how, how well does he know me? So David double clicks, right? He double clicks and says, let me, let me walk you through a number of ways to describe the depth of God's omniscience in your personal life. First, he knows everything you do. Did you see it in verse two? You know when I sit down, and when I get up, are you kidding me? You're telling me that God is aware of my movements. Like every sitting down, getting up, you sat in here, he knows when you came. Knows if you're on time, if you're dragging a little bit. It's okay. No shame. He knows everything. It's, it's the way David says God's into the details. He's into the small stuff about you. And he really does care right? He really does care about even the, the, the details of your life. He doesn't miss a thing 24-7 with everyone in this room and beyond. And so David says, yeah, he knows everything. You're sitting down and rising up. He actually knows. That's incredible, right? Well, then he goes on. Not only does he know your movements, he also knows your motives. Look at the end of verse 2. You discern my thoughts from afar. He actually knows why you're doing what you're doing. I can never know that. Sometimes in counseling, I never quite know what is the motive. What's the story behind the story? I'm trying to get to root cause, right? I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to figure that out. But in true fairness, counselors are limited. They're just limited in, in what they can do. God is not. He knows what you think. He knows what you think before you even think it, what you're about to think. He knows the inner recesses of your mind. He makes no assumptions. He knows you better than you actually know yourself. He discerns your thoughts. Well, that tells me there's no hypocrisy before God, right? I can be a poser, sometimes I am, you know, just, uh, you know, trying to be better than I am, promote myself, whatever that sin is, but there's no hypocrisy before God. You know, nobody walks into heaven puffed up and proud, right? Perfect knowledge of our actions and our intentions. But he also knows where you go. Check that out. Verse 3. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Look at the comprehensive nature of it all. Not some of your ways. All your ways. Every night. Every day. Every city. Every hotel. Everywhere you think you might have privacy. You really don't because he's always the unseen guest in your life. And he put the resident Holy Spirit in your life. Right? So he's present as well, Jesus as well. Everywhere you drive, every bit of road rage, I get that from time to time. I live in California. Wherever you travel, wherever you might find yourself, he is there. There's no place you can go where he is not. It's a reminder to you, ma'am, that you can't get away with anything. You can't gossip in secret. You may be whispering to your friend, but it's open scandal in heaven. And he does it with no difficulty. Again, is all-seeing eye of God. He has a full lock on. He is always the unseen, all-knowing guest in your life. He goes on here in verse 4, and he says he knows what we say. He knows what we say. Look at verse 4. Even before there's a word of my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You know the tongue can be a little bit of a problem, right? That's why James, half-brother of Jesus, Eighty forty nine 49 says, hey, the tongue's like a raging fire. Thing is nasty. It's why God physica- physically put it behind your teeth. That's a grill. So you keep it, that little two-ounce muscle will probably get you in more trouble than anything else in this life. So you put it behind teeth so when you smile in the mirror, you go, hey, i shut my mouth, right? That's what he did. I mean, physically, he just said, right, I better incarcerate that baby because that thing's going to hurt him that thing's going to hurt people you know and it does i mean there's no there's no pain more than a slander or something that's not true and someone said that, that those those are you know those are the ones that hurt those are the ones that really sting and then you have Ephesians 4 this compliment this with Ephesians 4 says let no no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth none wow i mean we can barely go a day right <clears throat> where well, this thing doesn't get us in trouble all of it the sinful mumbling teenagers the bad thoughts even though we never see them we see them but God, God knows he knows what we say he knows what we say under our breath he knows everything so he reminds us of that and finally he says in verse 5 you surround me I mean, he envelops your life. You're like, put a point on the ground. He, he just sets the guardrails for your life. He just does. And that ought to be uh, of comfort, but it can be a little bit terrifying as well. He hems you in on either side, back and forward. You make your plans, Solomon said, but God orders your steps. You are commanded to make plans. You're commanded to have goals and strategy, right? But he, he has the eraser, right? He edits those plans on a regular basis. He draws a complete circle. It was the word they would use for a besieged city when a city was being taken over and they'd be surrounded by an enemy and they'd be taken over and besieged. That's the word. He besieges your life. He, when you give your life to Christ, it's no longer you, it's Christ. And he surrounds you and hems you in and it ought to transform how you think about God, even a comfort. So our lives are an open book, read by God, minute by minute, step by step, thought by thought, active or passive, true or false, walking or resting, busy or idle, public or private, our lives are lived out before God. He understands us. He comprehends us. He encompasses us. Our God is awesome. We're just in the first attribute, His omniscience, His perfect intelligence, and He does it with zero effort. Of all the people in this room, he even says in Matthew, I even number the hairs on your head. Again, secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. You really don't have privacy. I appreciate that You like it. I appreciate that you crave it. I appreciate you invest in it at your home and your beautiful hedge, by the way. That was a beautiful hedge. But see, God sees your life, right? Personal privacy is a myth. And you're never alone. Well, what's David's reaction to the just the first attribute? He writes it in here for you, and it should, be, it should be our first response too, by the way. Such knowledge, verse 6, it's too wonderful for me. It's high. I can't attain to it. You know what he's saying? This blows my mind. That's what he's saying. I, it's just Crazy knowledge. Crazy knowledge. It's wonderful, it's wonder, it's awe. We all need a little bit more awe in our lives. David can hardly contain himself about God's comprehensive knowledge of his life. It's weighty, it's unfathomable great. That's why I say this is the Mount Everest of Psalms. It's it's heavy, it's lofty. It's like a doxology here in verse six. But then self-awareness kicks in. You see, your sin is not in Scripture. Maybe described in Scripture, but David's sin is in Scripture. It's inscripturated. How would you like that? Old Bill, he was an awesome guy, but ooh. You know what I'm saying? Like God wrote it in Scripture, so we know that David, when the kings are supposed to be out to war, what leaders do is they know good timing and where they're supposed to be. He's back home in the palace, right? Commits adultery, then has a... A guy killed, the spouse killed. I mean, that's pretty, pretty thick territory, right? That's pretty heavy stuff. So David's like, God is awesome. He knows that. Oh no. <laughs> Self awareness. Oh man. Look what I've done. And so, what he wants to do next is get out of dodge, which we're introduced to our second attribute. You can't run far enough, you can't hide. And so look at what he does in verse 7. You'll see the change. Where shall I go from your spirit? And where shall I flee from your presence? He wants to run. Just like you do when you sin grievously. You want to get out of dodge. You want to run. That's the first fleshly response is not to run to God, but to run away from God, right? He wanted to to run. It's the implication of, of, of omnipresence right there's wonder with omniscience and an omnipresence that he's always present in your life sometimes makes you want to run and so i'm i'm here to remind you you can't run far enough escape is out of the question now who's the bible's most notorious fugitive in the old testament begins with a j and ends with a Yonah. jonah right He's supposed to be in Nineveh. He goes 900 miles to Tarshish, right? He goes the opposite direction and he thinks he's going to outrun God. Chapter two, you encounter two, two, that Jonah, where? Prayed from what? The belly of a fish. You think you can outrun God? He's, you know, a few fathoms under the water, bouncing around in stomach acid, getting bleached out, and he cries out to God. Why? Because God's everywhere. You're not running from Him. I appreciate the hedge, bro. That's awesome. But you're not going to hide anything. You, you can't hide it from God. He's all-knowing and he's all-present, right? Ask Jonah. And so he begins with a question, where can I flee from the presence of the Lord? The, the answer is pretty clear, nowhere. But David's under inspiration of the Spirit. He's crafting this thing. He's got prose. He's like, "Let me let me just give you a couple hypotheticals these are things that are possible, not true, but possible categories of which you could flee. So they're just kind of out there. They're extreme. They're designed to make a point. And so he says, hey, he kind of uses, you know, three here, three different ones that he wants to describe. First, he uses direction, some distance and a little bit of darkness. He says, hey, what if I go to heaven to hide out? I go like, get close to the Lord, he won't know I'm in heaven because I'm such an idiot, right? So if I go to heaven and I hide out there, he's there, sorry. Suppose I could go to hell, Sheol. Suppose I could go there and hide out. No, he says you're there. What if I took the wings of the morning and went as far east or as far west as possible, go coast to coast, Mm, he's there. Depths of the ocean, I go deep, fathom after fathom after fathom, and I hide out in a, in a shipwreck in the bottom of the ocean, the Titanic, and hide out inside. Just live there. Mm. Nope. What about darkness? Maybe that's the kryptonite of the Lord. He cannot see you. You're going to hide in darkness. If I say, surely the darkness, verse 11, shall, over, shall cover me, and the light about me will be like night. Then darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. He sees right through it. So you can use camouflage. It's come, is it hunting season yet? It's Almost hunting season, right? You can camouflage up, cover your face. You could get in a closet, darkening shades behind your head, your and hide in a closet, get a lead blanket so no radiological equipment could find you. You're not going to hide from God. And that's what's funny. Some of you are still running. And you're just, like, you're crazy. You're not going to hide from God. It doesn't matter. Distance, direction, darkness. Throw it out there. David says, take the whole package. <laughs> you're not going to, it's impossible to hide from God. There's no place where God is not, nor height, nor depth, nor east, or west, it doesn't matter. You're not going to find a place where he's not. Now you can hide yourself from your elders, your church, your work, your spouse, etc., etc., etc. But not with God. God's awesome. You're not you're not going to hide. And so wonder in verse 6 turns into flight. I want to get out of here. I want Away from this piercing presence, this omniscience of God, His perfect intelligence, His unescapable presence. I want gone. I think we should pause and just do a little introspection, okay? How does that sit with you? If you're walking with the Lord, I know you're not perfect, but you're striving to walk with the Lord, you're pursuing the Lord. This really is a thrill right? It's wonderful. It's comforting. It's hope. God knows your mailbox. He knows your financial needs. He knows when you get laid off. He knows when you get cancer. He knows everything. He really does. I mean, this, is, this ought to comfort the vast majority of it. It should be pretty comforting. And it's a crazy thing because it's both a delight and terrifying at the same time, is it not? It depends on where you're at with the Lord. If you're not walking with the Lord or you've got some secret or you're sinning grievously and nobody knows about it on earth, remember open scandal in heaven, then this ought to be a threat to you. Thrill or threat? What is it? I mean, that's, I think we ought to all stop, at least ask ourselves. Some of you are, are big talkers and, man, you look awesome on the outside, but you can cut some people down. And maybe only one or two people know that. I don't know you're never alone to sin alone I just do know that see, theologically right and so what this text does is it just causes you to pause and go man is this a thrill or is it a threat in my life is it, what, what, is, what is the response what is the, are you responding in verse 6 or are you going to respond in verse 12 alright this is what a God complex does it forces us to see God as high and lofty and lifted up well we got to keep going There's a couple more attributes, so you hanging in there okay? You want me to stop? Can we bunt or swing away? Swing away. I always swing away. I wouldn't bunt. I didn't come this far to bunt. All right. Third attribute, omnipotence. The omnipotence is what we call in theology. God is all-powerful. And with this, the implication is I can't imagine the details. The details are just staggering. It's a reminder to all of us that God can do anything. He really can. It's proven it a bazillion times. So we've seen God as all-knowing, we see him as all-present, and now we see him as all-powerful. Right? He's the creator of my days, literally. God can do anything. No limits. And so David says, "How can I um, how can I describe the power of God?" Let me think of the way to describe the power of God. And what he goes to is the creative act of a person, of you. Inside a mother's womb is how he does it. Now, I know you say, well, yeah, but we can see inside. We have sonograms. No, you, you really can't. I've been doing this a long time. You know how many of those little black and whites I've looked at? When you know, they first get their sonogram, they come home, and they're fired up, and they tell you they're pregnant. And, and you look at that, and they look, look at him, little Jimmy. I'm like, that doesn't look like Jimmy, it looks like a peanut, you know, it was planners. he's planters, he's planters, like, I, you know what I'm saying? I appreciate the excitement you do too, you smile, you pop a thing, it's awesome, I mean, we all do it. But think about the creative act is vastly done in secret. The, the, the ultimate display of God's power is, most of it is done privately, in, in, in secret. His omnipotence. And the secret is the womb. He says, I formed you in secret. It means to embroider together. He's woven us together. He's knit us together like a skilled weaver. Embryo, organs, skeleton, skin. God's awesome. And you want to know? He created you individually. That's how awesome he is. You're his handiwork. Prenatal, embryotic, adding tissue, organs, veins, nerves. Muscle, skin, I mean, it's... The human fabric is unfathomably great, right? He's involved with the development of a pre-born child. You. He made you. And he made you just the way he wanted you. I know sometimes in our Western culture, we want to be somebody else. We want a few attributes. Yeah, I'd like to... I sprained my stomach, that's why I'm fat, but I'd like to be thinner, Okay. It's not a day goes by I don't go. I buy mirrors that make me look thin in my house. I'm totally deceived. I deceive myself every day, you know. But there's always attributes we look at. You're getting old. But you're made by God the way he made you. Down to, he says, even in verse 13, your inward parts, which are your kidneys, right? In the depths of the earth, the, the womb of a woman, right? And what David is trying to say is, I can't imagine the details that God would be involved in the creation of each single one of you. But more than the physical creation of you, is that how he's ordered your days. You're a person of destiny. You're not haphazardly on this planet. You're here for a purpose and for a reason, and you should exalt in that. And... Stop listening to others' opinion, but you're a person of destiny. Look at verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them. These days that were formed for me when when as yet there was not one of them. He's writing a story with your life. Don't resist the story, right? He loves you. He cares for you. He wants to make your life count. You got one life to live. You come into this world naked, you're going out naked, but in the in between, you're a person of destiny. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. What I love, what comes next, is how much he thinks about you. It's a reminder of his commitment to you, that he is so powerful, he cares deeply about you. He says, if I could, if I could, if I could number his thoughts towards you, he said it'd like be all the sands of the sea. That's how much. Let me tell you something. God is more committed to Dan than Dan is probably committed to God. That's the hard reality. Our commitment is light, right? He's our guardian. He's the potter. We're the clay. This is why we're so vociferous about abortion. This is why we fight, because this is This is the reason, because of Psalm 139, that he's involved in your life. And I know sometimes you're thinking, why am I here? And you're losing your mind sometimes, and you're forgetting. That's what a passage does like this. Every once in a while, you just have to stop and get out of the tactical, go up about 32,000 feet, and study some good, sweet, glorious, thoughtful theology about who God is and who you are in light of who God is. You're here for his purposes, not your own, pal. And I know you guys are some of you dudes are crushing it, and I appreciate that, and I love crushing stuff. I spike the ball when I'm done. you know I, you know I want, I, I'm that guy, so I get it, but man, this is God. He is awesome. He and he's intricately involved with every single one of our lives. Nothing happens to you that doesn't first go through the very hand of God. that's how sovereign he is in your life and how powerful he is can you grasp the commitment of God and so we've seen things today we've seen that we're never alone and we can never say nobody cares because God cares right We, we see it we see how much he thinks about us how precious verse 17 are your thoughts oh God how vast is the sum of them if I'd count them they're more than the sand I mean it's a lot right quantify it More than all the sands of all the seas. There's no substitute for God. There's no rivals. David says, "I, I, I can't imagine the details. All right, so we've learned some things, right? I can't have privacy. I can't run far enough. I can't imagine the details. Fourth, I can't get away with anything. Like there are no secret Christians in this world... I can't have secrets. I I can't get away with anything. God knows my heart. God is holy. It's pristine holiness too. It's not our version as be holy for he's holy. It's the holiness of God, the pristine holiness. He's the righteous judge. Well, did you notice something when we were reading? Did you catch it? There was an interruption in the text. It seemed a little bit out of place, right? It almost seemed... unintentional. No, it's very intentional. It's very intentional. There's this abrupt change in the text beginning in verse 19. And you see David go off. He's basically saying that their revolt is revolting. So it's it's a, you have to deal with this a little carefully, so stay with me. You have to deal with it carefully. He says, oh, that you would slay the wicked. Oh, men of blood, depart from me. Listen, David's not bloodthirsty. Don't go there. We have the totality of Scripture to interpret Scripture. He's not bloodthirsty. What's happening in David's heart is he's now been filled with 18 verses of serious, thick, awesome theology. And then he looks at the landscape of the people, and they're in revolt. They're in rebellion. They're taking the Lord's name in vain, the text says. They're right? Sometimes at work we feel this, right? It should produce righteous anger. With David, he crosses the line. This is a little bit crazy. This is like bat crazy, okay? You're just crazy. He's back crazy on this one. So he gets a little, he goes over his skis, we say, when we're out ski boarding, like snowboarding, ski boarding. It's not a thing, is it? I'm old two-pair. Some of you are snowboarders, I get it, but I'm old, still on the old two-pair. But, um, he he, kind of gets over and he he starts throwing these caustic barbs he crosses the line and where he crosses the line is he he hates both the sinner and the sin now we would teach here for you we want you to hate sin we don't want you to hate sinners though sinners are supposed to do what sin so when your crazy neighbor moves the lot line you you laugh (laughs) he's just a sinner he does what sinners do they move lot lines or you go to your family reunion, you got crazy Uncle Buck, and you have to spend all the way home describing what Uncle Buck said to your children. Yeah, because Uncle Buck doesn't know Jesus, right? So Uncle Buck does certain things, takes off his shirt, it's not pretty. Like, it's scandalous, right? You're like, oh, jeez, man, what in this happening, right? You do, this, but David kind of crosses the line. He's hating both sinner and sin. And so he's basically taking up the cause of God. He's going to defend the Lord. I'm going to defend the Lord here. And he's got this malicious feelings towards him. And he's, he's, yes, grieved over their sin, but at the same time, he's taking it personal. And he gets out over his skis and he fires. Look at how he even says in verse 22, I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them as personal enemies. If they're the enemy of the Lord, if your enemies are my enemies, I'm like, I am rocking it. I am killing it for God, right? That's what he's thinking. But again, he remembers who he is. He has another one of these self-awareness moments. It's really between verse 22 and verse 23. And so, yes, he's fiery mad. Yes, he's taken up the Lord's cause, just like you do at times. Like, I can't believe they talk like that. I can't believe they'd say that about the Lord. I can't believe they'd act like that. I can't believe they drive like that. I mean, we all have gotten there. But what's critical for you to see is how he corrects and how he, he changes his, his thinking. He's fiercely loyal to the Lord, but then in verse 23 and 24, he corrects. Search me, O God, and know my heart. So he's over his keys, he's out there, and then he says, ah, I've sinned grievously. God's holy and he sees my sin too. And so humility, he, he goes from bowed up to deflated, right? He God deflates him with theology, his fierce loyalty. He caught himself being critical of others, and his zeal for others gave way to humility. And it's not just evil around me, it's evil that's in me. And then he just piles up the verbs. And he ends like he began, search me, right? He said in verse 1, he searches you, that's a fact. Now he's inviting it. Now I want you to know what he does in 23 and 24 is dangerous, Dangerous, dangerous territory. It's probably the most dangerous prayer you'll ever pray. Look at it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me. Look at the personal pronouns. He's not saying, hey, search those dudes. Try them. Examine them. No, he's me. It's all now here. He self-orients. I'm the burden. I'm the problem. I can't fix Chuck. I had to fix Dan right? That's my job. Search me. Try me. It's a dangerous prayer. I would double dog dare you to pray it. Maybe triple dog dare you. I would. I want you to do that because I think that's the, that, that's the, that's the very place where personal revival begins to happen. He says, excavate my heart, Lord. Dig deep. This isn't shallow work. This is deep work. I mean, this is sins of commission, omission, blind spots, you've got them, I've got them, find faults in me, Lord, wherever they are, wherever the fissures are, the fallow ground, the secrets, expose me, check my motives. It's really a prayer of a man who's walked deeply with the Lord. It's a man of integrity, a man who's not perfect. It's the progress of David's life, not the perfection you look at. Look what God's doing in his heart. No closets, no secrets, no habitual sins. And let me remind you that Solomon adds in a little bit of color here, Proverbs 28. If you you cover your sin, God said, I promise you, sir, I'm going to uncover it. just a matter of time. However, if you uncover it, you confess it, right? He covers it. That's the beauty. That's the hope of the gospel, right? He covers all of our sin. He's been covering you for years. You've been confessing, and He covers you. But if you keep it secret, or try to think you keep it secret, but it's open scandal in heaven, you're not really keeping it secret. It's really the prayer of integrity here, right? Lord, pry the sin out of my life. That's the feeling I get when I read this this morning. I was like, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. It's just not something like you get up or like this now I lay me down to sleep kind of thing at night before you go to bed as a married couple. and you That's not this. This is like fire, hope. This is thick. See if there's any grievous way. And then he says, lead me in the way everlasting. It means the old ways, the old paths, right? The true and right, good and beautiful paths. You remember those days. You've been on a poor path. You've been on a poor trajectory. Get on the right path, Right? examine me, know me, look at the verbs he just piles them up in a, in a staccato fashion, know me, try me, can't. I mean it is like full on personal revival lead me in the everlasting way, the old ways well kind of want to end how I began is this a thrill or a threat? if you're visiting and You now just encountered the nature and character of God. I can understand a little bit of fear. Don't, I get you. I'm I'm with you. And for you, I'd encourage you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ for the first time. Friday, I was meeting with a man that I'd been sharing the gospel with, and it was time to tell him, I don't think you're a Christian. I just had to say it. I said, I'm not God, but I'm just telling you, you you don't look like one, you don't smell like one. You isn't one. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. And I told him, you're about 18 inches out of heaven. Because he knows everything. But he doesn't have it in his heart, right? It's all knowledge-based. And some of you have grown up in church, you've been around Jesus a long time, but you don't know him personally. That's why in Matthew 7, there's that verse that creeps me out. Where it says, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many wonderful works? And what did Jesus say? Depart from me, I never knew you. That is scary. That you could graze your kids in church and still go to hell. You, you're not a Christian. I don't know what the Lord's doing. You you search your heart. That's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5 to examine yourselves. Okay? So if it's feeling like a threat and you don't know Jesus, give your life to Jesus today. You can talk to me or any of the elders who are here, we'd love to introduce you to him. We know him personally. Right? So That's one category. The other is, man, you're crushing it. This is comforting. You're going through a dark canyon. Keep walking out of that dark canyon. Don't sit down. Don't give up. Fight. This this is the God who's on your side. He will care for you. He's better than any of your elders and pastors. He's better than everything. Jesus is there for you. You have the Spirit of God residing in you. This is a thrill. This is thrilling. Right? Or, third category, maybe you're... A Christian, but you're a little flat, dull, right? Sloppy. You live on the perimeter. You're not all in. Nobody accused you of being a Christian at work, right? You got zero persecution. Living the cool Christian life. Let me encourage you. Take a look. Maybe maybe he wants to draw in a little closer. Maybe you need to take a step, right, in your progress. It's progressive. Remember I said that this is the single greatest aid to my progressive sanctification right it's progressive you got to work all the time you work out your salvation with fear and trembling right paul says in philippians like it's a it's hard work like it's just what we do maybe you need to take a step get into the get into the you know scrum a little bit you know spiritually and you got to work on that and you've been on the perimeter too long i don't know what the lord's doing I just know he laid this sermon and this text on my heart for you. And you have to work it through as a couple with your kids at the dinner table. But I just, I just wanted to tell you how awesome God is. He's awesome. And there are some implications. It's not like, oh, he's awesome and I'm not. No, he's awesome and he sees everything. He knows everything. I mean, it ought to, you know, that grace-induced progressive sanctification, it ought, to creep, it ought to spook you a little bit. It's to drive you to worship and drive me to worship him. All right? We got some personal work to do. We ask you to do that during the week. When you go home this afternoon over lunch, do some, do some soul searching, right? Don't go, don't encounter a passage like this and go, huh, you know, that was awesome. That was kind of weird, a little fat. like the jacket. You know, don't do that. This is an encounter with God. All right? Let's pray together. Take a minute just to reflect. I don't want to run out. We've got a lot going on after church. We've got Chick-fil-A on Sunday. That's like a miracle in and of itself. God's on this throne. Like there's a lot going on. Worship team's preparing. I hope, you know, you can just spend a little bit of time in awe. Father, I ask that you do a work in all of our lives. Nobody... Nobody exempt from this passage. Whew. And um, Lord, help us to pray that prayer at the end, twenty three, twenty four. Commit it to memory and reflect on it. Lord, we thank you that we're awesome. We recognize we're not. We, want, we, we come to you humbly. And yet we can come to you. You said we have bold access to you. We have direct access to you. And so we're taking advantage of that now. And we need help. We need your mercy. We need your grace. Lord, point out areas, things that we know, that are kind of stupid that we're doing that you want to sanctify and reform and change Lord thanks for David who had his sins inscribed in scripture yet can write such the word of God here and be brutally honest and we even see his emotions wanting to run and wanting to take names and hurt people both times he gets caught It reminds us of your holiness, that we don't get away with anything. We never can pull the wool over your eyes. You've never been duped, never made an assumption, never been surprised. Lord, help us to do good work in our lives, spiritually. We ask this in the name of King Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. If you have a question about the message you just heard, email us at info at sfchurch.com. For additional resources or service information, visit us at sfchurch.com.